All right, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Go With The Flow. Not just any other episode. The last episode that I'm recording as an undergrad. Last episode I'm recording in the studio. And uh, yeah, not the last episode ever of Go With The Flow, which I'll get into in a little bit because everyone keeps asking me, am I going to stop the podcast? And the answer is no. I'm working on the rebrand and the transition to take it to a different level and a new phase and a new stage after graduation. So not the last episode ever that you'll hear out of me. I've actually recorded a few that I'm going to put off um, for a little bit, but the last that I'm recording is an undergrad, so kind of special. And just a few quick thank yous before we get into the episode and I get to my guest. Thank you to Theo, Ezra, David for being on the team this year. You guys were great. It was cool having a team I, when i started this podcast i didn't think that it would get to the point where i would be taking people would be voluntarily taking the time out of their already busy princeton schedules to help me work on this so that was something that was really special to me um thank you to especially the first board of the not the first the, i think 145th board of the daily prince the ones who invited me on to be a part um isabel rodriguez emma treadway that whole board they were all great and yeah, thank you to anyone who's ever listened. Thank you to everyone who's ever come on. Thank you to everyone who hasn't listened yet, but you will eventually listen because it'll become that big and you'll just have to. So yeah, it's just, it's been a fun ride. I'm very glad that I started this. There is no reason to not do all the different things that you want to do. And yeah, this has been a cool little success story for me um, and excited to see where it goes or doesn't go. Because again, it's so much fun that It'll, you're going to keep getting episodes. Even if they get zero listeners, I'm just going to keep putting them out anyway. But without further ado, to my guest. And as always, a very, 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 very special building, uh, uh, guest in the building. My third Olympian now that I've had on the show. It's like I, I might just have to become a podcast specifically for Olympians. But Sandre Gadormson, Gadormson is in the building. Welcome to the show, Sandre. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Of course. And so the way that I start every single episode, I ask my guests to introduce themselves, tell me where they're from, stuff they do around campus, and then just any other general introduction that they would want the people to know. So take it away. Cool. Um, first of all, it's nice to meet you. I think I don't think I've I met you last like a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, we met like a month and a half ago at a birthday dinner. Happened right, right, right. right across from each other. And <laughs> Time's like, been moving fast yes. since then. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Lots have happened. Yeah, so my name is Sandra Gjormsson. Um, I grew up in Norway. Uh, I'm a pole vaulter. Um, I spent a couple years at UCLA before transferring here, um, right kind of when COVID happened. Um, yeah, and I'm a junior, and I, uh, I just finished my junior year now, and I study psychology. Uh, I got my psychology shirt on, actually. Yes, like, I'm a narrow major, so kind of similar. Very we similar. Should, we share a building. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's about it. I've, I've only had like a, a year physically on campus because of COVID and transferring and everything, so I still feel pretty new, pretty to, new. <laughs> to the university. And um, yeah. And so how would you describe this first year fully in-person experience, being able to run track, do a, how would you describe the way this year has gone overall for you? It's been great. Like, um, I came here not really knowing many people other than uh, my brother and maybe like a few, a couple guys on the team. Um, but like when you're, when you're doing a sport, um, like you, you get to know so many people so fast. Like I remember just like after the first week I had met so many people and already like started developing friendship and um, definitely helped having a brother too on the team, just kind of like, <laughs> 
showing me around, showing me everybody. And um, yeah, it, it, was a, it was a very good start. Um, and it's been a great year. Um, I'm glad that COVID hasn't affected affected this year. Yes, me too. Very much. So, <laughs> I can, yeah. yeah, I can agree because I'm uh, obviously a senior graduating now, but all last year was one that was very, very much so COVID affected. And it's been good that other than the last two weeks of first semester when stuff got shut down to the rising cases, we've had a pretty regular year. So that has been very, very nice because the virtual semester, the virtual school and all that stuff was not not very fun. But you mentioned that you have a younger brother also on the track team. What year is he? 20? Yes, he's actually also a junior because um, when I transferred here, they, they accepted only a year out of two of my UCLA years. Okay. So that's how we both become junior or like the same year, class of 23. Okay, but who's so older? You're older? I'm a, I'm a year and a half older. Okay, okay. So I was, when I was at UCLA, I was class of 22 and then now I'm class 23. Which okay. Feels gotcha. a little weird, but. <laughs> <laughs> and so when I was reaching out to you to get on the podcast, you said that you were in, or you didn't see, you didn't say, I was just looking on your Instagram. That's where I did most of my research. You are in Norway <laughs> as of like very, very recently. Do you, and I know that there's like a track meet coming up. So does that mean that you like train by yourself sometimes or how, what exactly is your schedule like? Yeah, I've always, we've always been kind of like um, individual in terms of like training and my training is very like, um, I've trained my brother my whole life pretty much and we've been doing pretty much the same stuff um, him and I um, I don't go home a lot like this whole year I've pretty much been been here um, at Princeton like I spent my my Christmas break in California with my family so I didn't even go home um, to Norway because I, I wanted some some warmer weather after <laughs> a cold uh, Princeton fall um, but yeah, I was just back for two weeks, like taking care of uh, like a minor injury thing that I had. And I finished I finished uh, all in-person class early. I didn't really have any um, in-person exams or anything like that that I had to be here for. So it's definitely nice to be to be back back home for a couple of weeks. And were there did you at any point have any international competitions that you had to leave for this semester or no? Yeah, actually, I went to um Right after the indoor season for NCAA finished, like the week after uh, NCAA, I went to World Indoor Champs in Belgrade, Serbia. Okay, so you weren't in Princeton the whole year. <laughs> <laughs> it was so fast that it's it literally like three days I was there. I flew in like two days before the meet. I flew back the day after. Mm -hmm. uh, quick round trip. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Okay. And just again something that you just said you mentioned this is a perfect transition to the one of the first questions that i had for you you said that you went to california for the warm weather over winter break and to be with your family and so that was my very first question for you because i didn't even know that you went to ucla again i was doing my 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 deep dive research why exactly did you decide that you wanted to leave the warm weather of california ucla los angeles all that fun <laughs> stuff to come to cold princeton hard academic princeton because you're a world-class pole vaulter. I don't know if you necessarily needed to this institution. So why exactly did you decide that you wanted to come, yeah. come over and join us on the, on the East Coast? <laughs> it's a good question. I ask my, I've asked myself that many times this, <laughs> this winter when we've been <laughs> being hit with cold weather and snow and everything like that. And when I was writing my, my JP and stuff like that that we don't have at UCLA. And wait, wait till you get to the thesis and then you really <laughs> wish that you might not have come. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know what? Like... Like uh, athletics is a huge, huge part of my life, and um, like I value that a lot when I chose college, and that's that was why I chose UCLA in the first place because I thought it would be really great for me, um, athletically, 
and it also is it's a very good academic school as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I was definitely valuing that as well when I chose school. Um, but the the athletics wasn't really what I thought it was supposed to be. Um, so it kind of worked like the first year, and then the second year I was like, you know, I like I had to like try to see if there's if there's anywhere I can go that would be better. Mm-hmm. Um, just like with coaching and the team and everything, it w- it wasn't the perfect fit. Like I, I loved living in Los Angeles and Westwood is a great place and UCLA is a great school, like everything like that is great. Um, but athletic was just so important to me that I had to kind of try to look elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and pole vault is such like a specific sport. Like, yes, there are track teams that are better than both UCLA and Princeton, like overall. But when you're looking at pole vault specifically, um, which I have to do, <laughs> obviously, um, it's not as easy like to just look up like a good school and... But Simon, my brother, who's also class of 23, he's a year and a half younger, um, he was already here and he loved it. And he liked the coaches. Uh, and I trust him very much when it comes to things like this. So, um, yeah, I, I didn't even know it was possible to transfer to Princeton. Um, I still didn't even know why I was, when I was applying because they hadn't had many like athletic transfers before. Mm-hmm. So they kind of had to like make up their rule to figure <laughs> out if it was, it was like legal and possible or not. Um, but yeah, I applied and I, and I got in and I've, I've loved it ever since. And I, although I have to write a thesis of JP, <laughs> uh, take one more year of school, I don't think I'll ever regret it. And yeah. Love that. I'm glad that the decision worked out for you. And again, I was I asked that question jokingly. Obviously, it's Princeton. It's a school that a lot of people all over the world want to go to. So, yeah, it makes sense. Although, I don't know if I would leave warm weather for cold weather in Princeton. But, yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, I won't. I mean, track is like I can't do it forever. So, like, I'm going to have to do something after anyways. And that so, degree like, will be helpful. When I was correct. looking at schools <laughs> apart from UCLA, it wasn't like I didn't want to, like, sacrifice the good UCLA academics. Yeah. And UCLA is already like so good. So to find a place where they had both of those things, academics and athletics, very, very high quality. Yeah. There's not many options to choose from. So yeah. Princeton was like the perfect fit. And now we have to be doing so well in athletics, like our entire team. We got fifth indoors. We ranked pretty good outdoors. Uh, we're the best Ivy League school probably ever right now. And um, yeah. Love that. Okay, and now rewinding it all the way back because I think we skipped over this. I skipped over this. You're a pole vaulter, and that is a very niche sport, I would say. It's not something that a lot of kids is like probably their first option of when they decide they want to do track. I did track. I don't even think we had a pole vault team. I did um, 55 hurdles, 100, and high jump. Yeah, pole vault wasn't available. How did you get into pole vault? So I started, like in Europe, it's more like you start doing track and you do track and field from like kind of a younger age and mm-hmm. you do like literally they'll put you into all the events. Yeah. So I live about 100 meters from the track mm-hmm. um, where they have like all the equipment and everything like that. So I, I started like just going out there with my dad and my brother, um, just doing pretty much like every track event and I joined the club there. And then pretty early on, my dad would like, um, we had like a pole, <laughs> they like the club had a pole or a couple <laughs> poles. Um, so he, he did it when he was young, but he didn't really have a coach. So he's like, I really liked it myself. So I, th- I think my, my, my sons would like it too. So we like tried it a few times. Didn't really, like, I just kept doing all the other events for a very long time. Um, but I kind of just got better and better at pole vaulting. And when you get good at something, you start liking it too. And I think it was because I always had like good coordination. I wasn't like the biggest or strongest child. So pole vault, you were still able to like 
use your coordination to, to still beat the guys that are bigger than you. Yeah. And then I'd get beat in some of the more like physical um, events. And then obviously when I started maturing and stuff, like I'd also got better at the other events, but pole vaulting was the one that I was really good at. So. And when was that point where you, you realized that it was something that you could be really good at? Like how old were you, would you say, when that happened? Uh, I'd say around like 16, 17 year olds, but 17 probably. It was when I like first time, I think I broke like, any like not national like age group record mm -hmm. before that I, I wasn't like even close um but like when i was 17 it's the first time i like broke any like national record i mean norris is a small country so it's not like a huge achievement still but it was like i qualified for like the european youth championships and stuff like that i actually got a under 18 european champs medal bronze me bronze medal um so i guess that was when i like okay i can kind of I'm kind of decent at this yeah. thing. <laughs> I think I, I think I'll stick to it for uh, a while. Yeah, I could, I could do okay with this. And so I again looking at some of the heights. Was that what heights? heights yeah, yeah, heights yeah. you've cleared. Is that the terminology? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's okay. Good. And uh, you're, which we'll get more into this later. But you have the Norwegian national record of five five point eight one meters, which is equivalent to nineteen feet. Because again, I need everything in feet. Mm -hmm. Meters make no sense to me. To me, this could be five meters right here. So okay. nineteen feet and some spare. Yeah, yeah. So very, very, very high up. And this might seem like a stupid question, but what does it feel like when you're that high in the air? Because the pictures on your the pictures are insane. To me, that's probably like my favorite part about it is like the pictures that you have when you're like in the air and upside down. Which you're very, very, very. High. What does that What does that feel like? If you hit a really good jump and and you feel that it's a good jump and you just you just feel like you're being launched. That's insane. like it feels like what it looks like, kind of. You feel like you're upside down and like when you let go of the pole, you're literally being launched into the air, uh, and you just hope you don't hit the bar uh, on your way up there. But like the process of like getting upside down and everything is very like technical, and you're very focused, and you've done it so many times that it's kind of like autopilot yeah it's like muscle memory but then when you like hit a really good jump it's just it feels effortless and it feels great kind of like a trampoline almost maybe a, a little bit if, okay. but it's like even more powerful than like like the, the shot you get of like being flinged off the stick okay and as you just said you are very high you're being flung up in the air when you initially started was there any fear associated at all? And if so, how long did it take you to feel like, okay, I, this isn't something, this is something that I have enough of a handle on that I don't necessarily need to be scared of? I think I've always like loved adrenaline and I'd always love any sport that has feel like heights and danger and stuff like that. So I, and when you start so young, you start so low and you literally go like inch by inch from eight feet, eight feet to 19 feet now. So I don't think I've ever been really scared. Um, I guess the only times I've been scared is like I've, I've broken a few poles, which is like they snap when you they like literally stick snap them in the ground. Whoa. Yeah. Like when you bend the max and then they just break oh, and then you just, you don't know where you are in the air. You just go blank and you hope that you land somewhere and the pole doesn't hit you. But sometimes it does hit you and you like, you get a little bit hurt, but not too bad. And then what's like the worst fall that you've had? Um... One time I like landed straight down, like my, I didn't do a good jump and like my feet went straight down to like where the box is. Oh. And I had like my, my feet on like one, one side of the, of the plant box. I know, yeah, so like, yeah. I just landed like straight down from like 15, 16 feet, something like that. Oh boy. Um, and how do which you was pretty scary. Cause like you're in the air and your pole is not even on the ground anymore. Cause like somehow like went out of the box 
And like, there's no way of me like changing anything. I'm just trying to land as good as possible. It was scary. Did you, get, did you get injured? I did get a little injured. I, I had to like go on like a bunch of ibuprofen for like a couple of weeks just because my like feet were all screwed up. And how, how if see, I'm, I'm a little chicken. If that happens to me, I'm like, nope, I need to stay close to the ground. I'm just going to run 100 meters. <laughs> yeah, I think that's head. honestly like maybe the most like challenging <laughs> just after like an incident like that, you get mm -hmm. kind of scared. And then you figure it out and then it's all good again. Yeah. You forget about it. Yeah. And so now to your, the, the workouts that are associated with pole vaulting, because I saw on your Instagram again that you said that hurdling is your favorite, either first or second favorite right. workout to do. You're always hurdling on your Instagram. Why exactly do you need to do that? And how does that help you with pole vaulting? And it, like explain it really basically to me because okay. like, I don't, I don't understand. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's. I think it it's not necessarily necessary for everybody, but mm -hmm. I grew up running hurdles and I love it. Okay. And I think it's taught me well, like running mechanics and staying tall and having a good rhythm. Mm -hmm. And it's also just kind of nice doing something other than pole vaulting that's still like technical. So yeah. like you kind of brain stays sharp and you get to work on, on different things that not exactly pole vaulting. Cause sometimes just pole vaulting, um, it's kind of gets like repetitive and you need something novel sometimes to kind of feel different things with your body and stuff like that. So. And do you think you could probably compete at the D1 level in hurdles, or are you not that good? I I actually, um, I ran at the World Juniors when I was a senior in high school. Okay. And um, I got second at CIF, like California State meet, high school meet. Um, so you're, you're pretty good. So you, I, I was you, decent, you but then <laughs> I, I, it's just like pole vault is just so technical. I don't have that much time to do it that much. But okay. I think you'll, you'll see me at one race at one point at Princeton. Okay, love that. Love I was that. planning on this year, but it got a little hectic and I didn't really have time for it. So fair enough. I'll save it. Okay, and now transitioning more to your presence on the national level and first the Olympics. And so you participated in the Tokyo Olympics. Generally, what would you say that experience was like for you, starting with when you found out that you would be representing your country, Norway, at the Olympics? I think I found out like. A 2019, I made the standard, like the official standard, because you can do it one year before the Olympics. Wait, what do you mean? So like for track and field, like there's like a mark mm -hmm. where you have to hit. And like if you hit that and you're top three in your country, you're not guaranteed to go, but like they will potentially select you if you stay in good shape and you show that you're okay. still doing good marks like the next year. Okay. So then I qualified in 2019 because the Olympics are supposed to be in 2020. 2020 yeah. Um, and then I did continue to produce good marks and, and stuff like that all through like 2020. And then it got postponed to 2021. So I had to like still be in shape, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, was the spot still guaranteed for you after it got postponed? Or did they say that they would have to reassess where everyone was at to then give out the spots? Uh, a little bit. Yeah, you definitely had to show, show um, I think they just say like proof of fitness, which is just like, slightly below what you had to like to qualify like mm -hmm. the mark like 580 was the qualifying mark which i jumped in 2019. okay i didn't jump that in 2021 or i i did like kind of late but like i think i got selected earlier i don't remember exactly mm -hmm. but i i had to sh show that i was still good <laughs> okay um and before we get to the actual competition question which i told you that i would ask based on the conversation i had with sarah last week who was a winter olympian and she said that in beijing the olympic village was spread out over 
a very long distance. She had to drive like an hour to the hockey rink from where she was actually staying. What was the Summer Olympic Village setup like? Was it that spread out or was it more like a campus like Princeton like I Yeah, it was like it was a it was definitely less spread out. Um, There was a huge Olympic Village. I don't even know how many like buildings there were, but there were a lot. And there were like some buildings would only have like one team like USA would have one whole building because there's so many people. we were like sharing with like a couple other teams, I think. Um, so it's like one like little like half island kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then all the dining halls, like there's huge dining halls. Everybody would eating there. McDonald's was at the popular spot. That's we I did not it. have McDonald's either. So I was disappointed as well. I thought Mohamza said that there was McDonald's. No, we had a... Um, no, I don't think so. Oh, there was like okay. something similar, but mm-hmm. yeah. Um, I think there's only like a few sports like surfing and, and some events that you couldn't have like in the Tokyo in the middle of the city Okay, that were spread out. But, um, and like uh, the marathon and race walk was like kind of farther because they wanted like to be a couple degrees colder, I think. But some of them still stayed in the village for a while before they went to their like other small village or whatever. Okay. And what other countries did you, did Norway have to share with? I think it was like Denmark and Venezuela. Um, it's like one other, like someone one other small country. Okay, and were you able to meet any any cool athletes at all? I definitely saw like like a lot of good athletes. I don't think um, I was hoping to see like Simone Biles and some of the gymnasts, but mm-hmm. I think they stayed somewhere else because okay. they were like so famous or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I met like my um, one of my childhood idols, which has uh, had the world record in the pole vault. His um, his name is Sergey Bobka. He jumped six fourteen, which is twenty feet two inches or something. So that was cool. Um, yeah. I wonder if they, if the U.S. gymnasts actually did stay in a different place. Because I don't. Yeah, they did. Especially um, the girls, at least. Because I'm thinking of like the USA basketball team who are, pro- of, I'm going to. They also, I don't think, stayed in the village because I, I was trying to look for them. Okay. And, and uh, okay. they're easy to spot. I, I spotted the French guys because they're like all tall, super Rudy, tall. Rudy Gobert's, uh, but the, yeah. no, the, I think it's because like it would be like too intense for them. Okay, which is okay because I was about to say if and maybe the cardboard beds wouldn't be able to hold them either. And that leads me right to my next question: (laughs) the cardboard beds, the infamous cardboard beds. What were those like? What was it like sleeping on a cardboard bed? Honestly, they weren't. They weren't that special. (laughs) They had like this. The bed frame was like cardboard, Mm -hmm. and it was it, it could definitely hold you. And then there was some kind of weird, different kind of mattress that you could like flip and like change the firmness. I think it was supposed to be like environmental friendly and not mm. anti-sex bed that everybody says they are. <laughs> I think it was just like they were like cardboard. So they were like good for the environment. And they yeah. just like one of my roommates actually like I think when he like sat on it, it like cracked. So like they had to come like change one of the pieces <laughs> because they weren't like that stable, I guess. Yeah. I thought they could hold pretty much. Like I slept fine. But. OK. And the, re- the again, I don't think it makes sense for them to have been anti-sex, because like I said, when Mo was on here, if you take you could the three gymnasts probably weigh the same as one <laughs> like wrestler or something. So yeah. Yeah, I don't think that that doesn't make sense. I don't think they could take that amount of things into consideration for making it anti-sex specifically. But I, I digress. <laughs> um, and so to your actual performance, um, you hurt your quad. I did. When did that happen? Was that like first day, first jump? Like how soon did that happen? Uh, I made the first height, which was 550, so it's 18 feet. And then I started to feel a little sore. But like when you're in the Olympics, you don't really like think of anything because it's like you just go and you mm-hmm. can't like do anything about it. Uh, and then on my first attempt at 18.5 or 18.6 or whatever it was, 
um, I felt a sharp pain and I was like, oh no, that's it. Mm. Um, and I guess I had like one little bit of hope that it would be fine. And then I try like walking back and I'm like, nope. Cause I had, I had the same injury, like maybe like five months earlier. I was like, damn, this feels so similar. And like, yeah, that was. And, and what, what is it, what is going through your mind when uh, in this moment that you've been practicing, waiting for your whole, a lot, your whole a lot. Life. <laughs> it's, it's, it was really like, it was definitely very frustrating and annoying. Cause like it's the freaking Olympic games and yeah. it only happens once every fourth year. Yeah. And I was in the best shape of my life. I just had like a really good training camp and south of Japan where I would jump really good heights that would would have made me like at least make the final and maybe like top six in the final or something mm -hmm. like that. Um, yeah. And it's, unfortunately, sometimes these like muscle injuries happen when you're in really good shape mm -hmm. because you're able to like perform even like you're even more explosive, even faster than normal. And then things like this can happen. So it was very unfortunate, but I try to, I try to stay positive and be like, you know what, there's only three years to the next one. I'm still only... 22 years old. You're, 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 you're um, a young guy. <laughs> yeah, still one of the youngest guys in the field. And I hope to compete at the 24, the 28, maybe in the 32, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so, it's just one of those things where I don't know how closely you follow basketball. Do you follow basketball at all? Not really. Oh, not, not really. Yeah, that's fair. And so, for example, there's this guy, Joel Embiid, who is probably going to be second in the MVP uh race he's had a phenomenal season it's in the playoffs and in the last game of the first round he got hurt and so he's missing this round and his team's about to go out and so it's like again you work every player is working the entire season for the playoffs and he got there he got hurt there's this other guy gary payton on the warriors also got hurt yesterday it's like you just wish sports could be injury free and everyone could just have their best go at it all the time but again it's just one of those things that life just keeps throwing you whatever random curveballs and you just have to figure out a way a way to deal with them i think it makes the successes like even more um rewarding yes for sure when you're when you had to like do all this rehab go through all this like training to actually like just be able to jump and then when you like actually perform a really successful or not just jump but anything any yeah. sport yeah um it's even more rewarding anyway. yeah and that, that's even just life in general i don't i don't think anyone wants a straightforward path to the top and the 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 highs are so much better after you've gone through the lows and yeah just that's just that general theme but also another topic that i just literally wrote down because i remember that we spoke about it at dinner when the day we met so you are competing at the national level and you were telling stories about the doping rules and how they just kind of like show up randomly and just like test right you. yeah you're fascinated about that i was you? so fast so please can you just reiterate what it was that you were mentioning to me about the at the dinner about how they just randomly show up and how they just just explain the rules yeah to yeah, yeah i will so like when you're reached like international level usually for most countries at least you get put on this like whereabouts like app like it's like you download an app on your phone um and you have to like insert your address your phone number your email address all this stuff and then um, every like t every 24 hour period you have to sh um, have one hour out of that day where you put down an address where you're available for testing that doesn't mean they're going to come every day it's just that hour you have to be there in case they show up and if you're not there when they show up you get like one like warning or something and if you get three warnings that's the equivalent of being caught for doping pretty much um that's insane so like a few times they've showed up at my door i usually put it like early in the morning because that's when i know where i will be yeah. i'll be in my dorm <laughs> sleeping yeah <laughs> a few like when i was at ucla too they like knocked on my door like six in the morning and my roommate would wake up 
and be like, Sandra, someone's at the door. And I'm like, who is at the door this time? <laughs> yeah, and then you just got to pee in the cup, sign some papers, do some paperwork stuff, and then you're good to go. Have they showed up to Princeton yet? <laughs> they did once. They couldn't um, They couldn't exactly find my door, so they had to, like, call me. And we had to, like, go up to the communal bathrooms. And they literally have to, like, watch you pee. So, like, I pee with the open door. <laughs> the pants have to be, like, below your, your knees so they can see that you're not, like, cheating or anything. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I just wonder about the dudes who choose to take that job. Their job <laughs> is just to watch people peeing. And even that's, that's have you ever had a, uh, an instance where they've showed up and you weren't there and you've gone to strike or no? No. Okay. Good job. Never. Good job. Because that, but even it, it's the one hour in a day thing is, 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 I don't know how feasible it is. Because even like, I I look to my schedule every day. There's some days where I wake up really late. Some days I wake up really early and I leave my room. Like I have no two days are really the same for I me. I usually I usually put it while I'm still sleeping. But so then, I know I never like wake up before like eight really. Mm -hmm. So I put my time like from seven to eight. But then there's always a chance that your sleep might be interrupted, and I'll just be so annoyed if my sleep was interrupted by somebody yeah. who's waking me up to go pee yeah. in a cup. Yeah, like the one time they came to Princeton. Uh, like I always have my phone like do not disturb because I get like I don't want to be woken up yeah, but then I kept calling I think a certain amount of times and then eventually your phone rings and I'm like I think I started dreaming about the phone <laughs> ringing and then like I actually woke up and I like call and like hey like this anti-doping I'm like oh no call. and so how often have they actually how often have these dudes showed up knocked on your door and be like pee, pee in a cup how so yeah. maybe like everything from like five to ten times a year wow. but i know like every time i go home for example mm -hmm. i know they're going to be there like within that first week that i get there just because it's like <laughs> you come home from campus they're just like drinking tea <laughs> with their parents like <laughs> there he is there he is yeah they were like waiting for me at the door once when i was like at training one time and they're just like hey. and and are you good you do have to be on this protocol for as long as you're competing at the at the literally level. until you retire and you have to notify them that if you're retiring and if you're going to do like a comeback after you retire you got to notify them a certain amount of like month or years in advance so they can like put you back on the protocol and testing again and when did you get on this protocol i don't know if i asked uh 2018 was when i made my first like international team okay so it's for any international but i mean it's it's really like yeah i've been hating on the, the, the system and everything that it's like yeah it's sometimes like a lot to remember mm -hmm. but it, it keeps the sport clean and I think it's very important that everybody does it well and that they stay on top of their app. And um, yeah, it keeps the sport clean and it makes it fair. So yeah. I think it's I think it's a good thing, even though it's sometimes it's a little a little too much sometimes. Yeah, exactly. And it's definitely very necessary. It's just kind of funny that I don't I don't think most people realize that that's what it's like for the athletes where you could just be run up on it any time and told to pee in a cup and you have to say yes definitely necessary keep all these sports clean we want clean athletic competition yes but it's just it's just kind of funny yeah yeah um and so still along the lines of olympic not olympic uh national national success you have the norwegian national record what does it mean to you that that is a, a record that you hold i think it's pretty special <laughs> <laughs> like it, it, when you think about it it's like not every sport has like a record that goes through the entire history of your country like because you can't be like like it's hard to measure a basketball player now against like a basketball player like 10 years ago or like yeah. soccer or any like sports that hasn't had like an actual measurement yeah but pole vault and track in general like there's literally nobody ever in the country of Norway that has jumped higher than me. And when you think about it like that, it sounds, it's pretty cool. That is, that um, is, that is pretty insane. And uh, 
was that so the it was the 5.81 meters when did was did you get that at an international competition or is it like did you just get it and then it was like oh shit this is the highest anyone from my country's ever i first broke the record in 2018 when i jumped 575 okay the record before me was 72 and then i broke it again in 2019 jumping 580 and then again in 2021 when i jumped 581 okay um okay and another stupid question when you're com competing, how by how, what are the increments that you move up um, the, the the bar every time that you? So usually up? there's like a set progression, okay. and that could be usually it's between like ten and fifteen centimeters increments. Okay. So that's like four to six inches every time. Okay. But then if you have won your competition, if you're the only one left, you can choose to put it out whatever you want. So like when I won, I could be like, oh, the record was five eighty. I'll put out five eighty one just to only beat it by that much, not okay. that much. Um, but yeah, if you're in a big, like at the Olympic, I can't choose yeah. what to put it at unless I win it. So yeah, then, and then, then you just have to do the next height. So. Yeah, because that reminds me of the high jump at the Olympics when the two guys decided to share it because they couldn't like go on to the next one. So theoretically, that could also happen in pole vault. Theoretically, it can happen. It happens very rarely. And mm -hmm. I actually was watching that in the Olympics when those two guys shared it. And it was, it was a pretty special moment because they both had, like we said, injuries and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I just knew like, that like how he felt when he one of the guys won it or they both won it but yeah as a competitor though if you were in that scenario would you want to share it with someone <laughs> i think i don't know like i think it's hard to decide now like i think you just have to like do it when you're there if yeah. it actually happens That's in the moment decision but i yeah. think <clears throat> unless you really really hate the guy you're competing against which i i, I like all my competitors we, we get along well yeah um most of them at least <laughs> <laughs> names, i think <laughs> i think you'd be like nobody's gonna remember in 100 like in 50 years if you shared it or not like you're still olympic champ true you're gonna walk around saying you're an olympic gold medalist like you're both not, really really good yes and they're both gonna promote themselves as olympic gold medals <laughs> which they are they're not gonna say that they shared it with everyone so exactly but yeah the competitive yeah. the competitive aspect of it is it's a little weird that they can be two champions but yeah because i saw a lot of people hating on that they were like it's the olympics there's supposed to be one champion what the heck how can you have two gold medalists but at the end of the day kind of like we just said 20 honestly at this point i bet most people already forgot that people shared shared the gold medal um and then also another basic simple question when you are practicing so say you have practice later today and you're gonna go practice jumping what height do you start at <laughs> we we usually actually jump with like bungees sometimes in practice. Bungees. Just because like if what? you don't necessarily hit the hit the right jump, Wait, it, it will. What's a bungee? Like a like a like a band, like a like a soft band that like if you hit, like you can literally pull it all the way down and it won't fall down and it'll just go back up. Oh, uh, okay. But okay. sometimes we jump with a bar. Sometimes we jump with a bungee. Oh, um, sometimes oh, you okay. jump from. Okay. Sometimes you'll jump from like shorter amount of less amount of steps. Mm -hmm. So yeah, less speed, but then you can go more often because you don't get as fatigued like running so much mm -hmm. to work on technique, and then you don't jump as high. Okay. But like, I'll never reach close to like my my PRs in competition in practice, just because I'm not I'm not that adrenaline. You know, like there's there's no competitors, there's no fans. Mm -hmm. um, so we work mostly on like technique uh, and training. Would you say this is that the same across a lot of? track events like, i think so like like you never like the sprinter will never reach the same speed as he will in a competition interesting i never thought about that but that does uh, make sense and i know like like a, a, some of the long jumpers on our team they won't even reach like a foot like um near their prs hmm. i've jumped like i think my practice pr is like four inches lower than my uh, competition pr which is not that much okay some guys have like 
almost a foot. Difference. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> okay, and now reeling it back from the international stage to the Princeton stage, actually, actually the national oh. stage. Um, and uh, I don't know whenever the competition was NCAA indoor championships. You actually no, you are the NCAA indoor champion for pole vault. Very very huge accomplishment. What was that moment for you like when you clear the bar and you realize you're the single best person at least at indoors in the country? It was it was very special actually because even though like I've won like Norwegian titles and I've been to the Olympics and World Championships and all this, I've never really won like been number one um, in like a huge competition like this. Mm-hmm. Um, and the col- collegiate uh, level is way higher than like the Norwegian national level. So it's such a big country and there's a lot of internationals and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it was, it was actually really special and it, and it was a dream of mine like ever since I started college at UCLA like almost four years ago now um, to get that title. And freshman year at UCLA, I think I got 10th and I got 9th. So I wasn't even all American. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I thought I was going to compete last year, but then COVID, um, and then this year, finally and that's with the Princeton Jersey, yeah. um, I was able to, to win and it was very special. And now I just want to see how many more I can win. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I, I would imagine that's another one of those things where it's like, because you lost a season last year after you switch teams, after just all, the whole journey, it makes it that much sweeter to be be top in the country yeah it, it was very emotional actually and it was also great having simon there with me and he was actually like helping me like in field mm-hmm. like kind of coaching me on from the field a little bit yeah. um and he got fourth and he did it really well as well so it's also, really cool also all american just casual all, yeah. all, all american brothers <laughs> yeah. no, no, no we'll try to go one and two outdoors though who, who, who's gonna be one <laughs> um, okay, but yes, that was my next question. Indoors, outdoors. Does winning indoors make you the favorite for outdoors? Uh, a little bit. Yeah, it's it's very similar. The only difference indoor and outdoor is like the weather conditions, pretty much. Okay. Like you jump very similar heights. Um, the same guys are the, are good. Like it, it's really no difference. It's just indoor. You have a roof and you're in an indoor facility and there's no weather. Outdoor, there's more things that can happen. Uh, throw you off a little bit, you know. Okay. Um, but yeah, it, it does, it does make you the favorite, but like, I mean, these things can change and, and people can improve when they get outdoors. And stuff yeah, like exactly. That. Nothing, nothing is predictable. So it's not like you're resting on your laurels. Like no. just because I want indoors, I'm going to go in outdoors. So yeah, that definitely, definitely makes a lot of sense. And so even just, just more generally on the, in the UCLA to Princeton switch, does the, is the, how much different is the level of competition? from what you face at UCLA versus now? Uh, I think in terms of like the meets that we go to like for Princeton, maybe the level is slightly lower. Mm-hmm. Um, just because that dive league, it's really like, it really depends on the conference to conference. Mm-hmm. Um, I still won Pac-12s, which is what I competed for at UCLA. Yeah. Um, and I have won Ivy League championships, but I wouldn't say it's too big of a difference, the level of competition. And then you still go to those. I mean, you still go to NCAA and everybody will be there. Yeah, true. And do you have the UCLA record also? I do, actually. So you got that your freshman year? I did. Love that. You just, I love that. You came, got your record, the, or got the school record, and then you left. Yeah. You should just do that. Four different schools in four years. Just get four records. We'll so see that, if I still want to do school after I, I've written my thesis and everything. Maybe I'll do one more school. I can, Who knows? I, I, 
as someone who just finished their thesis two weeks ago, I can guarantee you, you're not going to want to do more school after. <laughs> it is not a very pleasurable experience. And this is me speaking for myself only, because some people surprisingly like it. But again, that's one of those things where it's like, I, I'm glad that there's people who enjoy things like academia, because I'm not going to go into it. But we do need, we still need professors. We need people we do. carrying forward all the academic knowledge. It won't be me. Uh, I, I think it won't be me either. <laughs> <laughs> oh, actually, so um, what does, so fast forward to graduation from Princeton. Do you see yourself going full time into track or what exactly will postgrad look like for you? Yeah, so I. I definitely want to do track and field for like another 10, 13, 14 years, something like that. Mm -hmm. We'll see. We'll see how long my body is in one piece with injuries <laughs> and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but what I'll do while I train professionally, I haven't fully decided yet. And I don't even know where in the world I'll be if I'll go back to Norway, if I'll go somewhere else, or if I'll um, maybe we'll train at some university in the US or something like that. I, ha I haven't fully decided yet. And I'll probably have to like start figuring out that like in the next year or and so. Do, do most professional pole vaulters have part-time jobs or does it sustain you? Yeah, it's track and field is not the most well-earning sport like basketball and so. Like mm -hmm. you, you pretty much have to be top 10, top five even to make a decent earning. Mm. Um, and I mean, even right now I'm like, I got eighth at the indoor world champs. Mm -hmm. um, but I think if I, I get even a little bit better, maybe get a medal from Europeans or World Championships, mm -hmm. I'll be able to, um, at least, be able to afford <laughs> living um, yeah. for a few years, and then um, yeah, I, I will have to get a job at one point. But and then again, at the end of the day, the Princeton degree will not hurt in your search. Right. And exactly. Being a world class athlete will also not hurt in your exactly. search, your search <laughs> for a job. But okay, we are right about forty one minutes. Um, it just before we get to the the final segments of the show or yeah well, oh that's actually crazy the last time i'm gonna do tiger confessions at least and i was supposed to prep my five songs but i didn't and i said i'll do that on the last episode but i guess people will have to keep listening yep. to 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 it after um just very generally back to like the school student mindset where are you at with, you just said you turned in your JP? Are you done with finals or are you still? I actually don't have any like, um, any more finals. I had, mo I had mostly papers that was Dean turned State. in by Dean State a few days ago. So you're done done? I'm done done. Love that for you, congratulations. <laughs> just more track now. <laughs> just the, we just have another one month of NCAA track, so I gotta stay there for a while. The, yeah, another, when is outdoor um, NCAA? It's like June, Eighth that or something. That is ridiculous. Yeah. That is absurd. Because, I mean, even, I guess for right now, as a junior, it doesn't matter that much. But senior, but even now, because my internship last year started June 6th. I know this year, especially, we have, like, Beach Week next week, which I'm guessing the track people can't go to. So it's just, like, missing out on the, like, regular college student stuff. But, you know, again, you're competing for something that means more than just going, going to drink on a beach yeah. somewhere. You sacrifice <laughs> a little bit, but you yeah. also, the things you gain are also a lot. So. Exactly, exactly. So everyone, yeah, it's, it, yeah. Yes, yes. But okay, I think it is now time to transition into the music identity segment. Um, cool. And so please whip out, whip out the songs. <clears throat> um, the first one I wrote was Know Yourself by Drake. Love that. Why? Um, yeah, I need explanations behind them. <laughs> I need explanations behind all of them. It doesn't have to be like the most profound thing, but just like a sentence or two. I think it's just like 
like just working on on excellence and just becoming the best of your best version of yourself. Love that song number two. Uh, Don't stop believing by Journey. Great song. I think that kind of speaks for itself. Speaks yeah. for itself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey brother by Avicii. Great song. Um, Scandinavian sure. guy, you know, yeah. and um, just like the family thing. Like I've always been very close with my brother and sisters, mm-hmm. um, and I want what's best for them, and I I share for them forever. You know, yep, love that. Um, Good Old Days by Macklemore. Good. I just, so I just found that song like literally two weeks ago and it is very much so a like nostalgic type song where like I'm in my last few weeks of college and I've been listening to that song so much. And just like, it gets me in my feels. Yeah, and just like, like trying to make the, the best of, of the days that you have and like <sighs> appreciating like, yeah, maybe you're not so excited when you're, you're sitting there writing your thesis, but... I think we got to realize that maybe these are the good old days. They are the good like old days. Like when we get into like 10 years from now, the, these were the good old days, you know? You, you know, it's insane. I wrote a, just one last quick thing. I wrote a, there's there's like a class herald speech that you can submit to, it's a speech that you could like give at class day and mine didn't get selected. But in it, I put, the, there's this line from the office where the guy, Andy Bernard goes, I wish there was a way to recognize that you were in the good old days before you've actually left them. And I was like, I hope that we realize we are in the good old days. So yes. 1000% agree. <laughs> and actually quick side note, I think I'm going to record that speech and just put it out anyway. And that'll be like a short final version of the podcast. But sorry, back to you. <laughs> <laughs> and then the last one was just uh, Young Forever by JC, because I always want to have that like young mindset and the always curious, always willing to learn new stuff, always being open-minded and yeah, always, always being young, even though you grow old eventually. I think that might be the first time that I've known all five songs. I might be wrong, but I think that might be the first time. So <laughs> cool. love, love that. Similar, similar music interests. Awesome. Okay. And now to the final last ever, 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 ever Tiger Confession segment. That's crazy been doing this for a long time i haven't gone on there for in a while so i haven't seen what people have been been writing but yeah you're not missing much it's kind of a cesspool of just like sadness and negativity (laughs) but (laughs) first one it says i know princeton kids seemingly like to whine about the quality of teaching in some classes but remember professors are not here to teach and babysit you they're here to do research princeton is a research university now just work harder and get good sick and tired of hearing all this whining what are your thoughts on that? <laughs> I, I think I do agree. Interesting. Okay. A, a little bit. Like, it is a research institution, and we have to, yes, maybe not all the professors are good, but I, I've, I've had pretty good experiences so far. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wouldn't say it's like that for everybody. But yeah, a lot of professors are here, and they most what they care about is their own research and not teaching people. Yes. Um, and I, so... I, 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 I agree and I disagree with this post. I don't think it's fair to just be like, sit down, work harder and get good. Because although it is a research university and they are here to do their own research, if you get assigned a class, it's a, it is still your job to teach the class. It's to still do a good job of being an instructor at the class. And it's not fair to say that the students, if you're not doing a good job of teaching, should just be able to figure it out all by themselves. Although we are all very resourceful individuals, so people usually are able to do that. Yeah. But I will say, there are some professors who, they might be Nobel laureate, they might be whatever, whatever. It doesn't necessarily mean they're a good teacher. And so it might be harder to learn in their classes. That is very true. So, I don't think it's... 
Yeah, I don't think just because you're a very good researcher and you maybe have a Nobel Prize or whatever doesn't mean you're going to be a good teacher. Yes, maybe you'll be worse, actually. Exactly, and so it might be that these people just aren't great teachers, and so it's just that much harder. So I get I get the concern. I'm not, I'm, so yeah, I, I agree and I disagree. Yes, they're here to do their research, but if they're not great at teaching, th- they should get better. <laughs> I, think, I think my psychology professors have been really good, actually. I don't know if it's maybe it's just a departmental thing and it's mm-hmm. not it's not as good in other institutions, but mm-hmm. yeah, I've been I've been lucky at least. And I will say my neuro professors have also been pretty good, yeah. especially the class I've taken this year. They yes, very very pleased as good someone who wasn't the biggest pro neuroscience person beforehand. And then awesome. second one, um, uh, might be hard to think of a response on the spot, but it says, "What's a misconception that you had as a kid that you learned was wrong way too late?" Oh, that's that's hard on the spot. That is hard on the spot. I haven't even thought of an answer too, so I'm trying to think of my answer right now. Also, um, misconception that you had as a kid that you learned was wrong way too late. And for everyone thinking, try to come up with your own answer. This is, or for everyone listening, this is. Were there any good answers to this one, or no? I actually, I I should have looked at the answers. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's Princeton. There's probably some very smart kids there that's answering good. I should have looked at the answers. Yes. Hmm. I would, hmm, maybe that, maybe it's like, I don't know if it's a misconception, but like when you're just like we talked about, like, like, like valuing our days right now, Mm -hmm. maybe not just like trying to, like, I think a lot of the times when we were in high school, we were like, oh, I just want to go to college. Mm -hmm. Or when we were like in elementary school, we're like, oh, I want to go to high school. Mm -hmm. Maybe just be like, well, now I'm in college. Let's just like enjoy that for how many more years or months yeah. I have left Living in the and moment. not just try to be like, Oh, I'm so excited to get a job or like yeah. whatever. Yeah. We might you know? rush ahead too much rather yeah. than just being in the moment. That's a good one. I will say, okay, I have an answer. And I think I just spoke about this somewhat recently. The idea that, um, you're supposed to be successful by yourself and you don't need help from anyone. I thought that was the way to do things for the longest time. Came into Princeton that way. And because of that struggled a lot academically freshman year, but if I'd realized earlier that, again, no one gets anywhere by themselves, what's the saying? It's like faster alone, further together. Something so, like that. Something like that. And seeking help is also like just being able to seek help, I think, is very helpful. Yes. Also, along those lines, also, I thought it was like a sign of weakness to ask for help, but that's obviously not the case. So two things that I used to think, misconceptions I had that I realized, I would say way too late. I'm glad that I've learned them now. Could have learned them earlier, but, yeah. you know, it is, it is what it is. But we have now done 50 minutes Awesome. This has been the last, last, last episode as an undergrad that I'm recording. It's this, you know, iteration of the podcast. Sandre, thank you so much for coming on. Do you have any final words for the people? Thank you very much for having me as your, your last Princeton guest. I'm excited to see see what happens next for you and, and keep listening to your podcasts. Thank you. And likewise, very excited to keep cheering, cheering you on in your pole vaulting journey and career. And I guess for everyone listening... Thank you, thank you, thank you. This has been the I Keep Saying This. The podcast is the most enjoyable thing that I've done this school year. Very glad that I started it. Looking forward to keeping it going. Again, for everyone who's ever listened, thank you. For everyone who hasn't listened yet, thank you. Share with your friends. Yes, yes. Tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend. Yes. This has been the last undergraduate episode of Go With The Flow. Thank you for listening.